Well, guys, good morning. I want to start off, why don't you look at the person sitting right next to you, look them right in the eye, and say, I prayed all week long I'd get to sit next to you. Now turn to the other person sitting next to you, the one you didn't choose for whatever reason, and say, you too. You too. Guys, today's our 26-year anniversary as a church. Isn't that awesome? God has done so many wonderful things here. In fact, right before the service, uh, I was talking to a lady in the back of our auditorium, and she asked, you know, how long we've been here. I was eight years old when our church began, and uh, so what that means for me is basically I was raised here. You know, I, I grew up here. I learned about God here. In fact, I met my smoking hot wife here. We got married. That's right, baby. I see you. <laughs> you got you to gotta get your points when you can, you know. <laughs> but we, I got married here. We're raising our daughters here. They got saved here. So many amazing things have happened in my life as a result of Fellowship Church and what God is doing in our community here. And, and I know that this last week we sent out um, an email just kind of congratulating our church on the fact that it's 26 years. And so many people responded to this email talking about wonderful different stories of how their lives have turned around. It, it had sounded everything like from one person who would say, you know what, I, I was stuck in a habit of sin or drugs or alcohol addiction, something like that. And, I, and God brought me out of it and I came into a relationship with God here at Fellowship Church. And then from there, got into small groups and accountability groups where my life is completely different. I heard people talking about the fact that their kids were, were messed up, but their kids were willing to come to this church. They weren't willing to go anywhere else, but they were willing to come to this church. And then at this church, they got saved and their lives turned around. One of them that stuck out in particular that was very funny to me is there was one man that said, he remembered several years ago, Pastor Hooper, my father, was walking around doing his matchmaker thing. And if you're single, you've probably had him do this to you before. It can be humiliating, but he'll walk right up to you and say, are you single? And you're, yeah, are you single? Yeah, well, you should buy her lunch. Where are you guys going today? And, and he'll put people on the spot like that. Well, it actually worked for this man. And they have been married, and they're raising their family in our church. And he asked me not to encourage my father to continue to do that, because <laughs> I think that's like the one success in 26 years. But... <laughs> But so, so many amazing things have happened. I want to start the service off by just celebrating what God has done. So I want to ask, how many of you in the last 26 years, uh, sometime in that 26-year uh, time period, you got saved here at Fellowship Church? Raise your hand if that's the case. Man, look at that. That's awesome. Praise God. Now, put your hands back up if your kids have gotten saved here at Fellowship Church. Guys, this is the most important thing we're doing. That's awesome. It is so awesome. Well, guys, we do this because um, it's what God has called us to do. And I feel like with it being our 26-year anniversary, it's important that we take pause for a moment and we refocus and we look at the mission statement of, of Fellowship Church, why we were founded, why we're doing what we're doing. Many of you have heard this mission statement many times. A lot of you have it memorized. I got it on the side screen here, and, and I wanted to read it to you. So uh, it says this, the mission of Fellowship Church is to connect the unconnected to Jesus Christ and together grow in full devotion to him. Would you guys read that with me? To connect the unconnected to Jesus Christ and together grow in full devotion to him. 
Guys, that's what we're about here at Fellowship Church. In fact, every decision we make at Fellowship Church, we weigh this. That's why there's many different events that come up and many different organizations that we can get involved with and and help out. And we always ask the question, that's why sometimes we get involved and sometimes we don't, is is this ultimately going to help us connect unconnected people to Jesus Christ and then grow in full devotion with him, or is it not? Because if it's not, we're not going to do it. That's not what our church is about. But if it's about those things then that's what we're all about. And and it's always been the number one thing here at Fellowship Church is to connect the unconnected to Jesus Christ. That's what we're about first and foremost. And then the second part of this starts with a very powerful word is the word together. Together. Because there are no self-made spiritual giants. There are no people that grow in their relationship with Christ to wonderful levels all by themselves. In fact, God shows us he created us to live in community, and it's the friendships that we have around us that encourage us when we're going through good times or bad times to continue to grow. He uses difficult people in your life to help you to grow. He uses encouraging people to help you to grow. So that word together is important, and together we, we don't just come to a service, but, but the point here is to grow in full devotion to him. So if you've been coming to Fellowship Church for a while, the goal is not that you come in and go, man, that was a good weekend, and then go on with your week. The goal is that, at, that our lives are changing to where every week I'm saying, you know what, I'm becoming more of a devout follower of Christ. Whatever he says to do, the answer is yes. That's the goal for every one of us, is that we would live the type of lives of, God, do you want me to, to share this message in my workplace? The answer is yes. God, do you want me to stick it out in this marriage and work through this difficult time? The answer is yes. And whatever Jesus says, the answer is yes. And we say, well, where, where did this mission come up from? I mean, was this just some person's thought, you know, late one night? They're, they're thinking, what would be a neat thing to start a church on? No, this, is, this we get right out of Scripture. Our mission statement is adapted from what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 as he, as he tells us over and over again that we're to go out into the world And we get this, if we look today in Matthew chapter 10, I just want to read this uh, from the message translation. I normally read from the NIV or the NLT, but the message is a paraphrase, and I just love how it's written here. Jesus is sending out his disciples, and and this is what it says. Matthew 10, starting in verse 5, says, Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. See, this is important to catch because, you know, we live in a culture where there's this idea that if you're going to do something for God, it means traveling to the other side of the world. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people who are called to missions, and we send people from our church on missions all over the world. But what Jesus is saying is don't start off on some far off place because there is a culture here in the United States where people get saved and they think, if I'm going to do something great for God, I've got to go to some like far off land. If I can just get onto some island in the South Pacific, then I could teach people about Jesus. So all the while, we're stepping over the dead and hurting and lost people in our own city to try to get to the other side of the world to help someone there. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't get this messed up. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. And what is he saying there? Jesus is saying, you know, it's a lot easier to attack some big public enemy than it is to just get on ground level with someone and share the good news with them. So he's saying don't attack because it's easier. Let's be honest. It's easier to pick at an abortion clinic than it is to tell your uncle that Jesus loves him. 
It's a lot easier to get online on Facebook and blog about how much you can't stand some politician's views and, and attack someone's morality versus getting on ground level in a youth ministry and saying, you know what, I'm going to commit to serving these kids and teaching them what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And saying, you know what, every day I, I'm, I'm going to go after the practical of how this, this person in my life can learn about Jesus instead of just going after symptomatic problems in our culture. So he's saying, you know, don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Would you say, my neighborhood? Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Guys, that's the good news. It's the good news that you and I, we don't deserve the relationship with God that we have. We don't deserve the forgiveness we don't have. We don't deserve the grace and the mercy. But God so generously gives it to us anyways. And Jesus says, since you've been generously treated with forgiveness and grace, live your life in the same way where you share the same gospel message to the people around you with the same type of generosity. So today... I've titled this message on our 26-year anniversary, Reaching My Neighborhood. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we jump into this today, I pray that this wouldn't just be another cute message. And though we've, we've heard the vision of Fellowship Church, I pray that today would be a day that we recommit to it. We recommit to what you've asked us to do, how you've sent each of us into our own neighborhoods. And we pray that, God, you would empower us today. Help us to recommit and to see you more clearly. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the goal in the short amount of time we have together uh, today, and we're going to go kind of quick today, is I just want to clearly lay out what it looks like to take the message of Christ into our neighborhoods. You might say, well, I've heard messages like this before, and I, I feel like it's important on this weekend that we would jump right back into it and talk about what that looks like practically for each of us every day of our lives. Because if you're going to be effective in following Christ and, and, and teaching others about Jesus, and if you're going to be effective in helping us as a church fulfill our mission statement, you need to understand these three things. This is how we reach our neighborhood. Number one, Identify and pray for people in your life that do not know God. Identify and pray for people in your life that don't know God. You might say, oh, here we are, we're in a church service, so of course there's a, a point on prayer. Well, yeah, and, and this is why. If I were to be perfectly honest with you, I could tell you that for me, I'm horrible at this. Because when it comes to thinking about talking to my friends about Christ, I scheme. I come up with plans. And I think, you know what, there's a message coming up I can invite someone to. Um, we got this kids event coming up. We can invite their kids. We can have kids do a sleepover and bring them to church. I got all these schemes and all these plans. And I miss this first point that Jesus so clearly tells us is that we should start off by praying. We get this, and it's found in Matthew chapter 9. So just a couple verses before uh, the Matthew 10 passage we just read, before Jesus sends his disciples out, he talks to them and he says this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, Then Jesus went out to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered. Get this picture, like sheep having no shepherd. 
Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So do you get the picture here of what's happening? Jesus gathers his disciples around him. He's healing people. He's praying over people. He's ministering to them. Lives are being changed. And he looks out and just sees that there's multitudes of people that, that they're lost. And he gives them this picture. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're going through life hurting, scattered, broken, miserable. And he points out to the disciples, guys, do you see this? Do you see that right here in our very town, there are people around you that, that they're lost, they're hurting, they don't know God, they don't know they can be forgiven, they don't know that they can have a fulfilled life. Do you see this right around you? And the disciples, you can imagine, like, yeah, we see it, we, we see what's going on here. And, and this blew my mind the first time I read this passage, because here Jesus is building up to this climactic point. It's like, guys, there's a problem here. You see the problem? We can go help them, we can go fix them. All right, guys, now what I want you to do is stop Let's pray. What? Pray, not go, because I'm telling you, I'm a doer. I want to go out and I want to do something. I mean, to me, this is like a football team getting together, and, and right before the, they go out onto the field, they're like, you know what? We're going to go out there today, and we're going to fight, fight, fight. We're going to win, win, win. We're going to destroy them. They're going to try to break us down, but they're in our house, and we're going to take them, and everyone's just pumped up like, yeah, we're ready, we're ready, we're ready, and the coach says, okay, everyone, take your pads off. Let's sit down, and let's pray. Like, Wait, What? It's like a war cry to go, but then he says, no, stop. Before you go, before you try to reach people, before you do any of this, the first thing you do is pray. And then what's so amazing about this passage is when Jesus says to pray, he doesn't say, I want you to pray that they get saved. Because it's a little shocking here if you look at the actual words Jesus uses. He says, I want you to pray, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Well, God, if we're talking about them getting saved, why aren't we praying, God, would you, would you save my neighbor? Would they, God, would you help them get saved? And, and this is why. It's so easy if I were to just pray for my cousin and say, God, I, I pray that, that Matt would get saved. Then it's kind of like I could just wash my hands and be done with it at that moment. The responsibility is over. I prayed for him. I did my part. But Jesus doesn't say pray that they get saved. What he says is, is pray that God would send someone to them who loves God and loves them and would tell God about them. Pray that he would send a worker to, to your cousin who loves them enough to tell them that Jesus loves them. And when you start praying a prayer like that, it's like, oh my gosh, you realize that it almost feels like you get tricked. Because you see where the trick comes in? This is what it looks like. If now I'm praying for Matt, and I'm not just praying he gets saved, so God, I pray that you would send someone to Matt that knows Matt and that loves Matt enough to tell Matt about Jesus. God, is there someone out there that knows you and knows Matt that, oh, oh. And you start to realize, wait a minute, maybe I'm not praying for Matt. Maybe I'm praying for myself right now. Maybe the prayer is that, God, um, would you send me to Matt to tell Matt about your love? Why is it he starts us off by saying, let's pray first? Well, I think it's important that when we pray first, we recognize that it's not me who saves Matt. There's nothing I can do. I can, I can point to Jesus, but it's Jesus who's done the work. It's Jesus that forgives. It's Jesus that draws us. It's Jesus that loves us and gives us mercy. 
It's he who has done the work. So it, it puts us in the right perspective of realizing it's not about what I do. It, it's about what Jesus does. So the first thing he says is, I want you to go first off and say, you know what? Pray for those people around you and pray that God would send someone to them who loves them enough to tell them about me. I want to challenge you right now because, honestly, this could be a message you could go, wow, cool, we heard three points and leave here and not do anything. So I want to challenge you right now and ask you the question, who are you praying for right now? Are you praying for someone in your life right now that God would give you the opportunity to go to them and tell them about Jesus? And I think, honestly, in this room, there might be a lot of us that say, you know what, I'm not right now. I'm not praying right now. Well, I want to encourage you. Let's just take 30 seconds right now and let's ask God, Jesus, would you bring someone to my attention? So do that right now with me. Jesus, please bring to our attention people that we have relationship with in our neighborhood, our friends, families, coworkers. And God, help us have the opportunity to talk to them. We pray that you'd send a labor to them. And if that means it's us, God, that we would be committed to doing so. And it's in Jesus' name. I think right now as we prayed, I'm sure there's many of you that went, you know what? <laughs> I didn't even think about it before, but you got a coworker or a, a family member, someone that you know, someone from your kid's soccer team, a parent, something like that, someone that you know. And I want to encourage you, write their name down. Put it in your phone as a reminder so you can remember to pray for them, just like Jesus said. If you're going to reach your neighborhood, the number one thing you've got to do is identify and pray for people in your life that do not know God. And then the second thing is to invite them to come and see. We get this from a passage, John 1, 43. It says, the next day Jesus decided to leave Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And this is his response in verse 46. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? It's like Loma. Can anything good come from there? So if you live in Loma, I am sorry. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. See, Philip had an encounter with Jesus. And after his encounter with Jesus, the very first thing he thought is, I need to tell other people about Jesus. I've got to go to my brother. And he went and he found his brother Nathanael and said, Nathanael, you've got to come with me. You've got to meet this Jesus. Your life could be turned around. I believe he is the son of God. You've got to find out about this. But don't you know that sometimes the invitations that we give out aren't accepted very well? Because here's this answer from, from Nathanael. When Philip says, you've got to come see this. You've got to come meet Jesus. It's Jesus from Nazareth. He goes, Nazareth? What good could come out of Nazareth, right? There's, there's objections. And, and you know what? Many times we don't invite people to come and see because we're expecting there to be objections. I tell you, I grew up in church, and I've heard every single objection that comes back, and it's always the same stuff. It's the same stuff you hear. Oh, fellowship church, I, that place is crazy. That place is just too huge. You get lost there. All they're about is money. All they care about is how good-looking their pastor is down there at that church. Okay, I made that last part up. Um, <laughs> 
but you've heard it. And I think it could take the wind out of yourself sometimes when, when Jesus is doing something awesome in your life and you say, man, I, got, I want other people to experience this. And just like Philip, you're like, you got to come and see. And then all these objections come. And I think a lot of times since we don't have the answer to all the objections, we say, you know what, I'm just not going to invite. I, I, I don't know what to do. I, I'm, I'm probably going to look like an idiot, so I'm not going to do anything. But I love the example Philip, Philip had here. He just said, just come and see. I don't know. I don't know if anything good can come out of Nazareth. I don't know if anything good can come out of Loma. I don't know. Just come and see. And I want to encourage you that to start being one of those type of people that invite. Invite people not just to our church, but invite people to learn about Jesus, to know about Jesus. And, and there's so many different ways you can do that. You can invite them to our church services. Invite their kids to 4640. Invite to different classes. Because Man, all the time we have different classes on, on parenting or marriage or something like that. When you know you've got friends who are struggling in their marriage, you can say, my, man, my church has got a class on marriage right now. You want to go to it. My church has got a, a class on parenting right now. You want to go to it. There's so many opportunities. And then when the objections come up, I, I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm just saying, why don't you just come and see? Because what we need is not an encounter with me, not an encounter with you. They need an encounter with Jesus. And that's all that Philip was trying to do, is just say, just come and meet Jesus. So reach in your neighborhood, you've got to identify people and pray for them. And then you've got to invite people to come and see. And then the last, before we close today, is you've got to tell your story. Tell your story. See, this one can feel strange because it, it can be real easy to say, you know what, I, no one would want to hear my story. There's a, there's a great picture of this in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says, as he went along, and this is talking about Jesus, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Let's pause for a moment. There are people in life that when they see you struggle and they see you hurt, they're going to start to discuss your problem, and they're going to say, you know, how'd they mess their marriage up? Was it her problem or was it his problem? You know, how they mess their kids up. So they made decisions back in the past. And, and there's this attitude that our world gets and that our culture gets of trying to analyze the problem and look at where the problem came from. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Instead of analyzing the problem, how about we fix the problem? So Jesus shuts them up in verse 3. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in this world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which this word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seen. Well, in the next couple of verses... If you've read this story before, you know that the man came home seeing and people that, uh, that didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. There were Pharisees there that, that thought that Jesus was a sinner and just a man. And, and they said, there's no way that this man could have healed Jesus. There's no way or, that, that Jesus could have healed this man. There's no way that Jesus could actually be the Son of God. So they pulled this man in and started questioning him. There's no way that he did this. And, and this was the man's answer. He said, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know, this is verse 25. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. See, this man didn't have the answers either. He didn't know 
all, all there was to know about Jesus. He just knew he had an encounter with Jesus and his life was radically changed. So he just broke it down to that. I'm not going to argue with you. I just know that I once was blind and now I see. And guys, your story is powerful. And in this third point, we've all got to get to a point where we recognize how powerful our story is. Even though it might not sound dramatic and dynamic, we just got to tell our story. Because every one of us have a story that looks like, this is who I was before I met Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. And this is who I am now. And, and see, that doesn't mean I was messed up, I met Jesus, and now I'm perfect. It doesn't mean that at all. It means I was messed up, I met Jesus, and now my life is different because even though I mess up, I'm forgiven. I'm loved. I have a God who helps me, and he picks me up off the ground when I make foolish mistakes over and over and over again. I have, I have a God who I can call on any time I want. And see, there's a lot of us, we don't share our story because we think it's not, it's not one of those dramatic testimonies. Because we've heard it. If you've been in church any period of time or you've watched TV, you hear these testimonies and you're like, man, I was in the gang and I got shot four times and I killed five people. And then in prison, I met Jesus and then I got the whole prison saved. And after they all got saved, they just busted the doors open and let me out. And now I've been going from country to country and everyone's getting saved. <laughs> like, my life doesn't sound anything like that, you know? So we think, well, my, my story's not dramatic enough, so... So we don't tell it. But here's the truth. God has given you relationship with people in your neighborhood that your story matters. Because honestly, I've, I fought that for a while with my own life because I'm a church kid. I felt like my story was boring. My story looked like my mom went to church when she was pregnant with me. <laughs> every week, every service. And then I was born and I've been at church every weekend since I was born. And, and somewhere along the way, though, I started rebelling against this, going, this is just what my parents want. And I, I started living a life where I, I just, I was kind of rebellious to God, doing my own thing, got in a lot of trouble. And I remember there was one day I sat on the end of my bed in my bedroom and just cried and realized, you know what, I'm so unhappy because I'm trying to live a life without Jesus. And I prayed right there and I said, God, I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want forgiveness, I want to make you the Lord of my life. And ever since then, I have felt his presence with me every day of my life. Every one of us in this room have a story. And, and it might not be dramatic, it might not be amazing, but God can use that story to, in the environment that you're in, the neighborhood that you're in, if you'll just tell it. This is who I was before I met Jesus. This is how I met Jesus, and this is where I am now. And I thank God so much that he loves me enough to give me a relationship. Another way that we can tell our story if we struggle with it is just to be a, a, a resource giver. You know, to say, when someone says, you know, I'm struggling with my kids, I don't have the answers, but I'll tell you what, there's some books from our bookstore, and we, I got this from my church, and they teach on, uh, on parenting at my church, and here's a book that can help you, and, and to just start telling our story that way, it's like, I, I still don't have the answers. I'm not that far along in my journey, but I can at least get you some resources that can help you. Guys, as a church... We're all about connecting the unconnected to Jesus Christ and together growing in full devotion to him. And guys, the way we do that in our own neighborhood is by identifying and praying for those people in our life who don't know God. 
by, by taking the bold move to just invite and say, come and see. And, and guys, we've got even tools to do that. We've got these invite cards that are back at our information booth. Uh, and if you want some of this stuff, you can take it and you can bring it with you at work. So if you don't have the right words, whatever, be like, this is my church, check it out. You know, but just to, to, to take that second step of inviting and then ultimately to get to the point someday where you're actually talking to the people that you're praying for about Jesus. So would you pray with me? In fact, I want to invite you to stand to your feet first before we pray. I think on this 26-year anniversary, it'd be really good for us to pray a prayer of commitment where every one of us as individuals recommit to this mission of our church. We're saying it's not just about us coming on the weekends and enjoying a worship service and that being it. It's about me helping connect other people with Jesus Christ. It's about the relationships you have. And it's about growing in full devotion to him. To where at some point in your life you get to the point to where the answer to Jesus is yes. What's the question? It doesn't matter. The answer to Jesus is yes. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for 26 years of our community being changed by what you've done in our church and in our city here. Thank you so much for the faithful people who have gone before us, for the faithful people who told us about you, the, the ones that had the guts to tell us that, that there's a God who loves us, who will forgive us. So right now, as a church family, as individuals, we recommit to doing your work. As you sent us out into our neighborhoods, we pray right now that we be the type of people who pray for our neighbors, that we invite them and we tell them our stories until we eventually see everyone in our neighborhood come to know you. So God, give us boldness, give us courage, give us opportunity, God, and God, give us grace to be able to do this. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's give him a shout of praise before we go. He's good. He's good. I love you guys. You have a wonderful week. See you next Sunday.